Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. I couldn't help but think uh, when we were singing that song and when uh, even Pastor Jared was talking, holy, 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 and uh, our our, uh, teaching a couple weeks ago how God is, the Holy Spirit is awful, right? Full of awe and uh, had those awe moments this morning where I was just so full of awe that his presence was so thick in here. And you know, when we praise him, he comes and lives where we're at. You know, and in the midst of a storm, it's time to praise. And I love that about our God. We're going to continue this morning in our, in our series on the third, which is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I hope you've been enjoying this. I know some of it's been a, a lot of teaching, and some of you are more uh, into preaching, and, and that's great. Um, but, uh, you know, we have to have a foundation of this person of the Holy Spirit, this, this uh, uh, part of the Trinity that is so important. In our series, uh, we've been covering a lot of ground, and last week we talked about the Holy Spirit and the ministry of Jesus, and didn't get any further than when the Holy Spirit led, even drove Jesus into the wilderness for the testing of his faith. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness for the testing of his faith. He was tempted there by the devil and overcame every one of those temptations. And how many are glad that he did that because we know that we can overcome those temptations as well. And they're the same temptations that we deal with in life. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes. And it's important to remember, we talked about this last week, we talked about it in weeks previous, uh, that um, in his pr- just prior to his testing in the wilderness, Jesus had experienced the Holy Spirit coming down upon him while being baptized in the Jordan River. And so it's so important that we see that the Holy Spirit came upon him in a mighty awesome way, and then he was led into the desert, into the wilderness, and there he was tempted, and there he overcame those temptations, not because he was the Son of God, even though he was the Son of God, not because he he, uh, tapped into his God-given powers, He could have, but he didn't. He limited himself so that he could be truly an example to us that we can tap into the same power that he did. And he tapped into the Holy Spirit's power. So important that we understand that. It's huge in how we view so much of the Holy Spirit and how we view our own life and our own ministry and our own everything, our Christian walk. Immediately following that testing in the wilderness, he went right into ministry, full still of the power of the Holy Spirit. He started calling his first disciples. He began teaching and displaying the power of God through miracles. But we can be assured that, that uh, uh, well, and, and it was at this point, I guess, that we really see the Gospels focus almost all their attention on Christ and his ministry. He started, uh, or as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Holy Spirit isn't really mentioned a lot in reference to the ministry of Jesus. But again, we know that he was still at work and that Jesus continued to do all that he did through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important that we understand that. There are, however, still some references to him in the ministry of Jesus, and one of them can be found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 through 32. So turn to that if you, if you can. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew 12, 31 through 32. Take out your phones. Uh, 
How many know phones are okay in church because the Bible's right on them, right? That's, that, was a big, that was a big thing at one time. <laughs> but we're over that, right? We're over that. So turn to Matthew, and it says this, chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, referring to himself, will be forgiven. This is Jesus speaking. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Now this is one of those hard sayings of Jesus, and it's one of the scriptures that, that probably we as pastors get asked about as much as any other scripture. Is there really a sin that cannot be forgiven? It says it, but doesn't Jesus forgive all sin? Doesn't he just forgive everybody all the time for everything? Is there a sin that can, that, that's literally not forgivable? And this, out of Jesus' words, his own mouth, says that very thing. And it's an interesting verse, and there's a lot of confusion around it. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you know, I, I would come to church, but I, I, committed, I committed blasphemy against the Spirit back in back a few years ago and now I can never be saved. We're going to talk about that this morning a little bit because that's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy. They don't understand what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It scares people to think that they have committed a sin that God will not forgive. So I want to talk about that, uh, what, what really what Jesus was saying when he spoke about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. First of all, we've got to look at the context of this. So these words of Jesus were in reference to what was happening in that moment. Jesus had just healed a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. And the physical evidence of this healing was that this man could now see and speak. Jesus healed him. He delivered him from a demon of oppression. He was oppressed by a demon, and he couldn't speak, and he couldn't see. He was blind and mute. All right, now this is interesting because sometimes people take scriptures like this and they, they make a, a, a doctrine out of it like, oh, everybody who's blind or mute has a demon. And that's not what it says. That's not what it says at all. In this particular case, the man who was oppressed by a demon happened to have the symptoms and the demon happened to be working and had a foothold in his life which caused him to be physically blind and unable to speak. That is true. But that's not the case for everything. You can't go around saying, well, that guy's blind. He must have a demon. And there's people in the church that do that kind of thing. You can't make Scripture stand up and do a little dance and, and put it all in, in framework and, and say that, say that, uh, 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 you know, that, that everything is in a formula. Okay, it's not all formulas. But this particular instance, this man was demon-oppressed. He was blind and mute because of that. And Jesus set him free. He healed him. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine the people around him who knew him, those who recognized him in the community? They said, here's this man who's demon-possessed, and people knew it, and he was blind, and he was mute, and he, he couldn't see, he couldn't speak. And so what did he do? What does a blind person who can't speak do? What, do, do they make some kind of noise? Do they grunt? Do they, what do they do? I don't know, but the community knew this man had issues physical issues and maybe they even saw spiritually that he had some issues and Jesus set him free and it I mean people were like whoa this guy's healed 
This guy's been healed and set free from being mute. And, and how does that work? You haven't spoke for, for, and I don't know if this guy was, was mute from, from the time he was born. I, I kind of doubt it. It doesn't say that. In other places it does say, uh, it makes reference to those kinds of things when, when it's dealing with people. But in this particular case, it doesn't say. So, so maybe he hadn't talked for years. Maybe it wasn't from birth, but maybe he hadn't talked from year, for years. And then all of a sudden he could talk. It must have freaked everybody out just a little bit. It definitely made them go, wow, who is this guy? The Pharisees saw this and they heard the people saying in amazement, can this be the son of David? Could this really, talking of Jesus, the people were saying, oh my goodness, Look what just happened before our eyes. Can this be the son of David? Which is to say they were asking, can this be the Messiah, the one who was prophesied about, the one who was promised to us, the one who would be of David's seed? That's why they say David's son, the son of David, meaning within David's family lineage, because it was promised to them that a Messiah would come from David's lineage that would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever, and they were looking for it. And here comes Jesus, he heals this man, and they're like, can this be the one? Can this be the Messiah? And the, the Pharisees, they're looking at this. They heard the people start saying, can this be the one? And they were, the Pharisees were basically the religious leaders of that time. They had a lot of power, and they enjoyed lording it over those that they were supposed to be serving. Now, as, as, a, as, as a Pharisee, you were also kind of part of a political group, and it's kind of mixed up, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but they had power and authority over the people, religiously and, and even politically somewhat. But they were very astute in the Mosaic law. They knew the law really well, and they, they used it to control the people, to hit them over head, the head with the Bible, so to speak, with the law to hold them accountable, make themselves puffed up and look great and be on a pedestal while they held everybody else down and held them back. So the people started attributing this miracle healing to Jesus being the true Messiah, and the Pharisees quickly refuted it. And they said this in Matthew 12, 24b. It says, it is only by Beelzebub or Beelzebul, that the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So Jesus amazingly heals this demon-possessed man, and at the, the first response from the religious leaders is not praising God, is not lifting up his name and, and saying, wow, could this be the one? Could this be the Messiah? They didn't say that at all. They, they, they only said that he was, they, they started to say, this is what uh, only he, he was only able to do this by the power of the prince of demons. Very interesting. Remember by what power Jesus performed the miracles that he performed. We just talked about this. How could he get through the wilderness and the temptation? How did he do the miracles? How did he teach the way he taught? He, didn't, he, he denied himself of his own God power. Okay? He still was God, but he just... He, he, he put that over here and didn't tap into it to be an example to us. And he tapped into the power of who? The Holy Spirit. That's the power Jesus tapped into, if you will, to perform the miracles that he performed. 
By what power did he minister by? The Holy Spirit. We know he, he did this. We know he limited his power and authority to be an example to us. So I just, just want you to understand that the Pharisees discalled the Holy Spirit, the hagios pneuma in the Greek, the holy, awe-inspiring Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, they called him the Prince of Demons. That's what they just did. Jesus healed this man by, by the Prince of, of, of Demons, by Beelzebub. It's demons that are doing this. Not Jesus, not the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit's power. And I, I just want you to understand the, the gravity of their depravity. Okay? It, it's deep. Understand that a statement like this about the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus was perfectly unified with as a member of the one true God, had, it, it had to be responded to. He wasn't going to just let them trash the Holy Spirit's work in this man's life and let them attribute it to the work of Beelzebub, which is really just an Aramaic name for Satan. In other words, the Holy Spirit didn't do this. God didn't do this. This was Satan. They were saying that the good works of the Holy Spirit were the result of the devil's work. And this could not be ignored by Jesus. And I gotta tell you something, church, I like that about our God. He doesn't tolerate stuff like that. He doesn't take, and I apologize for this, but just, just I'm an old farmer and I guess I'm uneducated. Farmer at heart. He doesn't take any crap from the devil. He just doesn't. He doesn't ever play defense. He immediately goes on offense and he wins the battle at hand. That's our God. So Jesus speaks to their evil, manipulative comments because that's what they were doing. They were trying to manipulate the people to hold on to their own power. Matthew 12, 25 through 30. says, he knowing, knowing their thoughts... He, Jesus, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has, be, has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is Jesus' response. And you know what else is cool about that? Jesus, because he's full of the Holy Spirit, and every time you see Jesus say something, every time you see him perform a miracle, every time you see him teach something that is just profound, you need to think about this. Attribute it to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Because that's the power in which he ministered and did everything. Why is that important? Because that's the power that you can minister through. 
He did it that as an example to us. I know I'm, I'm like a broken record, but I think it's very easy for us to go, well, it was Jesus, he could do all those things, and we can't. It's not what he said. It's not what he said. This is the context why Jesus said, blasphemy me against the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. How do we define it? Let's get into that. Simply put, the harsh term blasphemy indicates a deliberate and continual rejection of the saving power and grace of God. A rejection of the saving grace of God. J. Oswald Saunders gave this, uh, these important observations about this unforgivable sin, and I think it helps us understand what it truly means to, to blaspheme theme the Holy Spirit. First of all, it's a calculated sin, not one of impulse. This is something you do on purpose. You can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit by accident. You do it on purpose. It's not one of impulse. It's not in the heat of the moment. It's something that, that you... It's calculated sin. It's not one of impulse. B, it is a sin of knowledge, not ignorance. But a sin against spiritual knowledge and light. That's what it is. You knowingly do it. It is not an isolated act, but a habitual attitude. It's calculated. It's, you, you have knowledge of what you're doing, and it's habitual. You do it continually. It is sin of the heart, not merely of the intellect or the tongue. You can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit with a slip of the tongue. It's something that you have to actually think about intellectually, make a decision about, and decide that you're going to do it. It's really way out there in a place where none of you have ever been. And I'll explain why I can say that in a minute. It is a sin of finality, complete rejection of Christ. And if you are final in your decision, is that your final decision? That's my final decision. I reject Jesus. There is no forgiveness for that. Because when that day comes and you have to stand face to face before God and you rejected him and that was your final answer, there is no coming back from that. It's unforgivable. Not only did these Pharisees verbally and publicly call the work of the Holy Spirit the work of Satan, they did this because of their own refusal to repent. They were rejecting the grace of God that was being revealed in and through Jesus Christ. They weren't merely doubting or just denying the truth. The Pharisees were with evil intent, and understand that, they had evil intent in their hearts, contradicting what they had just witnessed with their own eyes. You gotta understand something, the Pharisees knew the Bible, they knew the law, they knew the signs, they knew the prophecies, they knew Jesus was fulfilling prophecies, and they said it anyway because they didn't want to give up their status they held on to it full of pride they would rather ignore the promised messiah and try to cover it up to hang on to their power 
They didn't want anybody to know it was Jesus. Maybe the author of Hebrews had these Pharisees in mind when he wrote this in Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed and has outraged, outraged the Spirit of grace? And here's something to remember. If you are struggling with the idea that you might have committed the sin, then you haven't committed the sin, Okay? You wouldn't be struggling over it if you had. Uh, Dr. James Bridges, he's an accomplished author and minister and theologian with the Assemblies of God. He once said, the capacity to have concern regarding whether or not one has committed the un unpardonable or impardonable sin is a certain indicator the person has not done so. It's a certain indicator. The fact that you're sitting in church today means that you haven't committed this sin. The fact that you're listening online today means that you haven't, you haven't committed this sin because you couldn't stand to be in his presence. You would hate it. You would rail against it. This is the definition of this sin. Remember, it's calculated, not one of impulse. It's a sin of knowledge, not ignorance. It's a sin, uh, it, it's an, not an isolated act, but a habitual attitude. It's a sin of the heart and not just of the intellect or the tongue. It's a sin of finality. All those things. The truth about this, number three, is the Bible actually lists four different sins against the Holy Spirit. They're all separate, and yet they're progressive towards what we call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So first it starts with grieving the Spirit. The Bible talks about that. And this grieving of the Holy Spirit, it happens when we allow things in our hearts and life which impede and weaken the Holy Spirit's inward work. Ephesians 4.30 says it this way, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When we allow things into our heart and into our life that impede and weaken that Holy Spirit's inward work, when we, when we stop that within our life because of different things that we allow in. Examples of this would be, you know, you, you're, you're uh, how many have ever watched TV before? How many think that it's possible they could have grieved the Holy Spirit at some point when they were watching TV? Because you let something in that you shouldn't have. You let it come in and it, it, it just, it grieved the Holy Spirit. You ever watch a movie and, and uh, you had people over and you thought it was such a good movie? This happens to me sometimes because I like to watch movies on, on uh, uh, you know, the cut versions. And then all of a sudden you see, you, you watch the movie with some friends or something or your kids or something and it happens to not be the cut version. And you're like, whoa, I didn't even know. I'm so sorry, you know, let's shut that off, Right? If you don't shut it off and you let it play, is that grieving the Holy Spirit? You could be leaving, leading something in. That's not just television, it's anything media-wise. There's certain things that you should not read on social media because they appeal to a fleshly appetite that, that, can, that can hurt you, impede the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. I think we've all been guilty of that at some point. 
And most of us, when we realize that we repent, we say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit working in and through me. I want him leading me and guiding me. I want him in my life. But if we don't do that and we continually allow the grieving, the next thing may happen, and it's resisting the Holy Spirit. And this happens when we willfully make a decision to act contrary to the known and declared will and precepts of the Holy Spirit. We know what the Holy Spirit's saying to us, and we willfully make a decision not to be obedient to him. It's the next step towards blasphemy. We say, no, I, 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 don't, want to, I, I don't want to listen to you right now, Spirit. I want to do what I want to do. It says in Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked people. I just think that's such a very interesting term and so colorful. You stiff-necked people. Wow. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Resisting the Holy Spirit. By the way, that was spoken by the first martyr of the church, Stephen. It's when you just, you know what's right. You, you, you hear the Spirit of God. He, he's, he's calling to you and you're like, no, I'm gonna resist it. I'm gonna resist doing good and I'm gonna do evil. Why? Because it feels good? Because it appeals to the flesh? It feeds an appetite? You know, Talking about Callaway's coming next week, it just made me think that Pastor Callaway always used to say, there's two dogs within you. You got a bad dog and you got a good dog, right? And they're always fighting, which one's gonna win? It's the one you feed the most. And if you wanna feed the flesh and you wanna feed that, that, that negative thing within you that, that, that just tries to always pull you away from God, pull you away from God, pull you away from God, if you wanna feed the sinful nature, if you wanna feed the flesh, if you wanna feed the enemy and, his, and the thoughts that he plants in our head, if you wanna feed all that, it's gonna be very hard not to flow. It's gonna be very hard to flow in the Spirit. It's gonna be very hard to be obedient to the Spirit. You'll start to resist him. You gotta feed the Spirit, right? When you do that, it can, it can move into another area, which, which is the Bible calls quenching the Holy Spirit. This happens when we actually become annoyed with the Holy Spirit and the restraining influence he's trying to have in our life. Resisting is just like, no, nah, I don't want to hear that. I, I want to do what I want to do. Quenching is like, would you just shut up, Holy Spirit? I don't want to hear it. It's the next stage. We become annoyed with his voice and the, and the restraining influence he's trying to have in our life. He's trying to hold us back from death. You know, the Bible says that Jesus came to give life and life to the fullest, life abundantly, right? Jesus comes to steal, kill, and what? Or not Jesus, Satan comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so the Holy Spirit's holding, he's holding uh, us back, he's, 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 he's trying to restrain us. He's using his influence, that, that still small voice in our heart. He's saying, don't go there, don't do that, don't do that. And, and when you quench the spirit, when you get to that level, you're saying, I am tired of you telling me that, so I'm not gonna listen to you. I'm annoyed with you. How many have ever been annoyed with the devil? And you said, Satan, get away from me. 
Shut your lying mouth. Quenching the spirit, this level would be, Holy Spirit, quit nagging me. Shut your mouth. I didn't really say that right then. I was just giving you an example of what we say in our hearts. It involves trying to quiet his voice within us, quenching him by pouring water on the refining fire within us in order to escape his wooings. <laughs> I love that word, wooing. Jesus, his Holy Spirit, he woos us unto himself. And let me say it again. If you are here today and you are listening online, you have not committed the sin. Because to do so would mean that you would never listen or be a part of a service like this. You wouldn't be able to stand any worship or preaching to the point of becoming violent against it, quenching the Spirit, resisting the Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit. None of those are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That next level is just off the charts. It means you're violently opposing the Spirit everywhere you can. It means you hate the Spirit of God. It means that anything that resembles God and His kingdom and His Spirit, you are against. It means you go to work against the work of God instead of being a part of the work of God. At the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he shared the last Passover meal with his disciples. And he taught them many things during this time. And it was the last evening he would spend with his closest friends. It was, it was during his, this time that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Not that he hadn't already been at work in the world, we know that, but this would be a game changer. He would come in a new way. And I, I'm, I'm shifting a little bit, moving off blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because how many in here have ever committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? No one. Praise God, you didn't raise your hand. So now that's taken care of, you don't have to ask if you've done that anymore. Aren't you happy, Pastor Jerry? We don't have to answer that question anymore. Praise the Lord. But you don't want to get to that point either. This was going to be a game changer, though, as Jesus talked to his closest friends that last night he spent with them. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Talking about the Holy Spirit again there. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Not in you yet, but will be in you. I think that's really profound. And I'm sure it confused them. They're like, whoa, the, the whole, we, we know the Holy Spirit can come on to people. We saw it in the Old Testament. We saw it in the judges. We saw it in the prophets. We've seen it in Jesus. And Jesus is saying now that his disciples, who are basically fishermen and blue-collar people, people who weren't even necessarily educated that well, they weren't like the Pharisees. They weren't like the, 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 the religious leaders at all. They'd just been following Jesus. And 
He says, you know him for he dwells with you, and they probably recognize that. Yeah, he, he has been dwelling with us and will be in you at some point coming soon, coming soon to a... <laughs> He'll be in you. In John 16, 4b through 14, and I'm gonna read a little scripture here, but I want you to soak this in a little bit because this is Jesus, again, he's still talking to his disciples, the very last thing he's saying to his closest friends, and he knows it's the last night he's gonna spend with them. He's saying the most important things he can possibly say to them. These are important words. He said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning, things in reference to the Holy Spirit, because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me to the Father, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now remember, the disciples didn't quite understand all that he was talking about. They're like, what are you talking, Jesus? You're gonna be here? You know, why, why, why are you acting like this? He says, it's, a, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper, that word in the Greek is paraclete. The helper, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He will come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more or no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, and I'm not adding to scripture here, but the ruler of this world and everything that is attached to him, everything that's a part of him is gonna be judged. I still have many things to say to you, he said, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus, for he will take what is mine, Jesus, he's speaking here, of course, and declare it to you. He'll take what I have, and he'll declare it to you. And throughout the Gospels, you guys got to know it's clear that Jesus depended, again, on the power of the Holy Spirit to do his ministry and to perform the miracles that he performed. And, and it's, it's almost like Jesus is saying when the Spirit comes, the Spirit's going to depend on me because it's the Holy Spirit of Christ. And we start talking about the Trinity, and, and remember, it's not three gods. It's one God, three distinct personalities, perfect unity. Hard to wrap your mind around that. But we believe in one God, amen? amen. One God. Maybe you've committed the sin of grieving the Holy Spirit or resisted his work in your life or maybe you've been purposefully quenching him because you got sick of him getting in the way of what you really want to do. I mean, to the point of stop it, be quiet. I don't want any part of it. Again, I don't believe any of you here would, would have committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but it, it's, it's not hard to take a good look at ourselves and see where we've come up short in reference to these other sins against the Holy Spirit. And let's purpose in our hearts today to live in absolute harmony with the Spirit of God, with the Holy Spirit, with the Hagios Numa, the awe-inspiring, the full of awe Spirit of God. 
and to put him in the driver's seat of our lives. I, I, I think it's amazing, again, we see from so far away, we look back almost 2,000 years ago, and we say, well, Jesus did what he did because he's God. And that's partially true in some things. But how he operated in ministry, how he operated in miracles, how he operated in his teaching, in, in, in his responses, that's the power of the Holy Spirit through him. And we look back at his disciples and we say, yeah, they, they, were, they were with Jesus, and so that's why, that's why they, they had such uh, powerful anointings. And, and, and we, we disconnect it. Maybe it's because of the 2,000 years that we can tap into the same power. That same power is available to us today, the power of the Holy Spirit, to do mighty things. How does that look? I don't know for you. But it could look like we are Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit power. We are his hands and feet. We are Jesus with skin on, I was gonna say. We are who we are, but we're dead to self, and Jesus lives in us and through us, and we go out into this world and we reach as many people for Jesus as we, as, as we possibly can. We lay hands on the sick and they recover. We cast out demons. Anybody ever wonder why there's there's so many demon-possessed people in the Bible, and there doesn't seem to be any demon-possessed people uh, today. Has anyone ever had that thought? I'm not going to get into why that is necessarily, but I, I just don't think we recognize it like they did. I don't think they falsely label, labeled it. Maybe we falsely label it today. Interesting th things to think about but to be full of the Holy Spirit of God, to let him be in the driver's seat of our lives. That's why Jesus had to go after he rose from the dead, to send the paraclete, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit. And we have him. He's available to every single one of us. The moment you got saved, he started living on the inside of you. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit within you. He's made his temple in you. And we're gonna take a couple of weeks off from the subject and come back to it after Easter, and we're gonna talk about some more things with the Holy Spirit, like the baptism, the submersion, the, 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 the dunking, if you will, in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to start praying because we're gonna pray for some people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe for the first time. You have him indwelling in you, don't get me wrong but to be baptized, to be submersed, to be dripping with the Holy Spirit, if you will. How many want a little of that? And that's available to us as well. God is good. I want to pray today, and Pastor Jerry, would you come this morning, and would you, uh, would you pray? And um, I, I know it's about 11.13. I got you out of here early today. How's that? Uh, and after he's done praying, uh, uh, our sound guy is going to turn on a song, and if you feel like you want to come to the altar this morning and spend some time in prayer, you can certainly do that. God is good, amen? amen. All right. Love you guys. We'll see you Wednesday night. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, God, for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you sent your Holy Spirit not just for Jesus, but for us, so that we could do the same things that we see him doing as he lived his life. 
healing the sick and opening blind eyes and deaf ears and, and words of wisdom and words of knowledge and meeting people where they were and changing lives. That's your job description, Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we thank you that the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus, that same power resides in us if we just ask. So, God, I pray for everybody in this place, God, that you give them a fresh visitation of the Holy Spirit, a fresh visitation of that power so that as they go out of this place and leave the, into their mission field, Lord, that as they meet people and they come in contact with people, that they'll be able to display that power and people will know that you are real. God, that lives will turn to you and God, that we'll be able to fulfill the commission, God, the, the mission that you've given us to see people come to know you in this earth. We love you and we give you thanks and it's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.